In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Seeing the multitudes, or the crowds, Matthew 5, verse 1, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I have a ladder here. Because I thought it would be important to demonstrate how to climb a ladder. Now, um, I have a... I have a rib that feels a little funky, so I'm not going to do anything too acrobatic. <laughs> but if, um, if you will allow me to demonstrate a little bit here. I can hold your feet and you can climb up with your hands. <laughs> so, the purpose of a ladder is for short people to reach things that tall people can reach. <laughs> That's not the primary purpose. It's one purpose. Uh, the other purpose is to get to something at the top. Maybe you're trying to paint. Maybe you're trying to reach something. So, OSHA has a lot of rules for this. We're just going to keep this simple. But primarily, what you do is you put your hands on the sides, uh-huh, and you go on the first rung. And then you go on, and you got to be careful, because sometimes you're too strong for it. <laughs> and then you go on the second rung. And then the third. Everyone following? Mm-hmm. Yeah, are we good? Okay. Yeah, well, that's actually would be a bad idea. I'll do it later. Um, and then you go down the same way. You sure hope you don't fall down any other way. Um, okay, that seems obvious. But what I want to point out is the absurd, is that you don't get on a ladder like this. <laughs> or by trying, I was going to go higher, but I thought maybe I shouldn't get hurt in front of everybody. Um, you don't try to just jump into the midst of the ladder, right? There's a safe process for climbing a ladder. Who knew? Um, That's actually, you know, it's a simple, simple truth, but you have to understand that as we come to the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes are not randomized. They are intentionally ordered to be an ascent at which the top is a very important goal. Now, we talk all the time in society about climbing the ladder of success or whatever your ladder is you're trying to climb. And we all want to know, most people spend their whole life climbing their ladder of success, climbing the ladder of their career, whatever, because they want to see what's at the top. And as the saying goes, many people get to the top to find out that there's nothing there. All this climbing and there was no, the point was the climbing and there was nothing at the other end of it. And now all the sacrifices they made to get up to the top. Now, the Beatitudes are rungs on a ladder that get us to a goal. And this goal doesn't disappoint. You look at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's number one. The eighth and final Beatitude is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the same answer, kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are bookended with the same result, um, the kingdom of heaven. So that's one way of saying this is the goal of all of these. There's There's other rewards in here, but this is the aim, is the kingdom of heaven. 
If we are to climb the Beatitudes, which means we acquire the first, then we acquire the second. You're going up the rungs of a ladder. This ladder is our virtuous growth of communion in Christ. So the more we walk with him and the more we become one with him, we begin to acquire these virtues. You don't shortcut it. You don't say, I want to be a peacemaker. So you leap up to, what is it, the sixth one or something? You leap up to it. That, that's not how, I think it's the seventh. That's not how that works. Um, and and you will, we'll see this as we go. But there's a very important progression to the Beatitudes. And when you get to the top, if you're willing to do the sacrifice and do the works that Christ asks us to do and to press into and become one with him, these efforts do not come to nothing. But we get to the top and what we find is the kingdom of heaven. We find this union with Christ that we don't experience and we don't grow into when we put up with weakness and um sin what weakness what i mean is sin um just you know i'm just saved by grace i grew up hearing that excuse all the time and i've become convinced finally in my 30s um that actually the bible means what it says and it tells us to live a certain way and these are for a reason and um that yeah we, we are saved by grace and god does graciously cleanse everything we've done and he's not going to hold it against you but every time we keep on going back to him about the same thing he we are basically doing this we're going up a wrong and oh okay and this is what we're doing all our lives and it looks a lot to me like a cartoon when the character just can't get the popsicle in his mouth because he hits his eye or his other eye or his hair or you know how they always work th- sets of three mistakes and this is all we do and if you ask me this looks like an insane person thinking that I, I mean I'm getting an exercise that's for sure but my exercise isn't getting anywhere right what's the point of being in shape spiritually if it doesn't actually produce anything um we want to be in shape enough to get to the top. So, okay. So I think you see that purpose. Um, now, oh, let's just keep it for a second here. Um, so the, our first, what is our first rung of the ladder? Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the very first one. This means we actually, we really need to pay attention to this one. It is the gateway. You don't get to blessed are those who mourn until you are poor in spirit. We don't get to meekness until we have poverty of spirit. We don't hunger and thirst after righteousness until we have poverty of spirit. You're not hungry until you're impoverished. You see how this works. You don't mourn over your sin unless you see your poverty. You don't have meekness, which is a quiet, controlled strength, which doesn't show itself off, unless you know that you are impoverished before God. Like the, these, you don't acquire these unless you start with this base. And then, so yeah, that's how I would say the first four beatitudes. So we're talking about them as a ladder. The first four are a set beginning with blessed are the poor in spirit, which leads to mourning, which leads to meekness or gentleness, which leads to hungry and thirsting after righteousness. If we cannot acquire these, you cannot go for those upper ones. The next four are what you, I would see as Once we get up to hungering for righteousness, then we begin to produce the next four, which is being merciful. We'll get into all this in the future. But mercy isn't just, I won't give you the judgment you deserve. That's one way, but not the primary way the Bible uses mercy. Mercy is stooping low to meet and heal what sin has wrecked. That's what mercy is. You'll see injured people in the Bible cry to Jesus for mercy 
They aren't saying, don't judge me. They're saying, bring your healing because I am wrecked. That's what it means to be merciful. Um, Then we get to um, being pure in heart. Then we can become peacemakers. We can't make peace in the world if we don't have peace in ourselves. And we don't have peace in ourselves if we haven't begun to acquire Christ's virtues in our lives. And then all this culminates with the eighth beatitude, blessed are the persecuted. So you know you're doing well when you're right at like the last rung of the ladder and you're being persecuted. Why? Because the prior seven beatitudes, these prior seven virtues of Christ make you look like Christ. And let me tell you something. People say all the time, we love Jesus, just not the church. Now, you know why they don't like the church? Well, yeah, there are some hypocrites in church. That's true. There are hypocrites everywhere, especially in the pride movement. Um, They don't like the church because the church looks like Jesus. We love our version of Jesus, but not what he really is. So you will be persecuted when you look like Jesus. And it may not in our safe culture for however long that lasts. Uh, It may not happen maybe externally, but spiritually you will be persecuted by the devils if you look like Jesus. That's a guarantee. Um, And so uh, then you'll notice that the, the persecution is doubled. After says, blessed are those who are persecuted for this is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 11 then just says, it continues that, blessed are those who revile you. So there's really a ninth blessed, but it's, it's, it's what most people agree on is that there's eight virtues here and the last one is doubled. So it's eight plus one, which is meant to say, this is the climactic end. You know you've arrived when the world hates you. You know you've arrived when the devil hates you. So blessed are you. <laughs> Everyone hates you. Um, and then he goes into you are the salt of the earth you're the light of the earth because these are what you become when we when we become more unified with christ by taking on more of his nature so um what is at the top for us is it worth it yeah eden remember this whole sermon's an invitation to edenic thriving as adam and eve were one with god we get to be one with god This is what the Beatitudes are leading us to. So yeah, what's at the top? Is it worth it? There's something up there, all right. And it's totally worth the climb. However, Beatitudes are a bit backward. The very first one Jesus lays for us is blessed are the poor in spirit. And you might be thinking, what is so blessed about that? The poor in spirit. No one, no one in the world, worldly sense, ever blesses the poor in spirit. In fact, we are encouraged not to be poor in spirit. For example, Aristotle, you guys may know, he was, he was the Greek philosopher uh, before Christ, who really, the Greeks really pushed virtues, which was part of the way God set up the coming of Christ in Christianity, is Christianity didn't have to invent virtues. The Greeks showed them to us then christianity just sort of said but these are the virtues that matter more than what the world thinks and guess what humility is humility uh, being poor in spirit is a virtue that the greeks did not respect at all uh aristotle set up basically a balance of virtues so there's two extremes which are vices and then the middle you want to be in the middle of the road you want to be a balanced person that's the virtue so what um aristotle said is he placed vanity on one end of the spectrum and humility on the other end of the spectrum. Both of these are bad. 
You don't want to be vain, which is to be super ripped in spirit. Look at me, everybody. I'm amazing. That's to be vain. The opposite of that is humility, to be poor in spirit, to have absolutely nothing to offer anybody. So he said the middle ground is to be great in soul was his term, great in soul or great in spirit, which is actually not what Jesus is saying. He is asking us to be something that the world hates, right, from the get-go. And you and I might struggle because we're like, wait, what is so... Remember he said that the Beatitudes are Jesus' vision of the good life. What is so good about being poor in spirit? How is this Edenic thriving? See, scriptural thriving has nothing to do with prosperity. Jesus is calling us to be poor in spirit. So our question then is, how is this good? Why should we want to start on the first rung of this ladder? And if this is only the beginning, how much harder is this going to get? Yeah. So um, by way of recap, your word blessed in your Bible. Some Bibles actually just put happy and a a totally appropriate translation. Um, It's the Greek word makarius. Um, And so that word we've loosely translated as the good life. It can mean human flourishing. It can mean Edenic thriving. Uh, That's what blessed means. It refers to a state of being. Um, So happy is often the word that's used. Um, Sometimes some scholars have translated it as congratulations, as good news, as you are in good shape. Like, just think, like, I, I think just the way we culturally say, this is the good life. And Jesus says, these are the images of the good life. These are the Macariuses. So, um... Um, the, the thing we get tripped on with the word blessed is that we think sometimes that blessing is something we give and it is, there's two words for bless in the Bible. One word is to give blessing. You bless the Lord, O my soul, and we receive God's blessing. But those are verbs to bless is a verb. Macarius is not a verb. It's an adjective which means God is not blessing me because I'm poor in spirit. Good job, Brandon. Here's your blessing for doing what I said. See, that's the whole idea of you work and you get merit. That's not scriptural. And that's not what Jesus is saying. As an adjective, Macarius is a description of what it looks like to live the way God made us to live. Um, So if you want to think of it, it's like an observation Those who live the good life, what do they all have in common? And it's as if Jesus is saying, I have observed humanity long enough to know what the good life is. And here's what all of them have in common. First, they're poor in spirit. That's what we mean by blessed, okay? We don't get the blessing. We are the blessing. The poor in spirit is the blessing, okay? So there's no reward attached to it. It's what? Poor in spirit is the good life. Now, we have to totally redo our minds to see this because we think, ooh, I want to avoid that one. So let's look into why Jesus says to be poor in spirit is to live the blessed life, the good life. Um, So we'll look at it one more time. This is Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed, so that's Macarius, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word poor is tokas in the Greek. Tokas. So if I'm to write it out in English lettering, 
this is this is it. Tolkas. So that's the word poor, the poor in spirit. I'm pointing this word out to you because it's a really fascinating word. And I think this will help us to sort of see what Jesus means by poor in spirit. Um, so you can just like absorb this. You can write it down, take a picture, whatever works for you. But this is how tokos is used in the Bible. Um, so it, on one hand, and I'm, I'm summarizing because it's actually quite a bit. But um, on one hand, it's used to refer to begging. So there is, much of the time, uh, tokos refers to a actual materialistic standpoint. You don't have anything, so you have to beg. Um, specifically, like, begging for alms. It means to be destitute. Uh, what you are destitute of, uh, there's a variety of things. One is wealth. But here's the other ways that it's used. You're destitute of influence. <laughs> you have no influence. Do you ever feel like that? Mm-hmm. And, and when we have too much influence, that's not a good thing for our soul. We really need the presence of Christ to guide us in those positions. Um, it's to be destitute of influence and similar is a position. So you can also think power, right? So to be destitute of any sort of significant place in the world. Um, it means to be um, yeah, helpless and powerless. Um, here's, here's another one it's used for. It's uh, somebody who lacks worldliness. Now, uh, the way it's technically described is it's somebody who lacks the enrichment of education and and being enculturated. So someone can all come to you and be like, you Christian, you're so unculturated. Get with the times. Like you just, you don't look like the rest of us. That's part of being uh, tokas is you lack worldliness. Um, now that's uh, the way tokas is used. Now there's a root word here. Um, and if you look at the root it actually comes up with some interesting things. So um, the root word is used to describe uh, to cringe. To cringe or to crouch. Mm -hmm. So there's a lion coming down the street or someone's about to hit you. You cringe, you crouch, you you get ready for that. That's one of the ways that the root for tokos is used. Um, Uh. And then there's one more way the root is used, and that is uh, to cringe, to crouch. Oh, by the underneath this, you could put uh, to prostrate. It's actually, do you know what to prostrate is? It's to bow yourself with your face to the ground. So when a Christian bows himself to the ground, he actually is enacting physically being poor in spirit. So to prostrate. Um, but then the last um, way that the root is used is um, to come to an end. To come to an end. So you're poor because you have nothing left. You've come to the end. Here's what um, the message is a somewhat controversial translation of the Bible. Um, yeah, you know, some people have great favors and some people have nothing good to say about it. I think the message. Um, Occasionally, it hits a verse 
like beautifully and occasionally it makes you cringe like oh it sounds too modern <laughs> um but here's an instance where eugene peterson who was a language scholar he teach he taught language at toronto seminary somewhere in toronto um he translates this verse as you are blessed when you come to the end of your rope for when there's less of you there's more of god that's how he translates that so you can see like there's actually a great amount of homework in the way he translates it. And so this kind of gives us an idea of tokos. Now, we need to see, too, though, that Jesus is not just saying uh, tokos by itself. Blessed are the tokos in spirit. So all of these qualities in your spiritual life, this is what we're describing. So... Uh, when in my spiritual life, I am body, soul, and spirit. My body engages with the world. My soul engages with thoughts, with emotions, uh, with desires. And then my spirit engages with God. If I am poor in spirit, then that means in my engagement with God, I am reduced to begging for alms. What do I have to give him? Well, God, I have been at prayer meetings and we've seen people get healed. I am doing social justice work and I've helped people. And God's like, that's cool. Who gave you your breath? I mean, you're not doing anything that you made on your own. You're, everything is on loan from me. Uh, we spirit, our spirits before God, we are begging. We're reduced to begging for alms. Uh, we are destitute. Do I have any influence or position with God? Nothing that he hasn't granted to me. Um, boy, I sure hope I lack worldliness before God. I want the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of the world. This is a place we want to be with God. Uh, cringe, crouch, prostrate. So uh, another way of describing this is the fear of the Lord. You notice how the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes all describe the entrance to wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And here Jesus says the entrance to the kingdom of heaven and my virtue is poverty of spirit or to cringe, to crouch before the Lord because to prostrate because of your great reverence for who he is. This is poverty of spirit. My spirit recognizes that he is worthy of all of me. So I will find the lowest place I can go. We become like water. Water finds the lowest, po it keeps moving until it settles in its lowest possible place. That's, sh that should be our posture before God. When we pray, we should find immediately the lowest possible position. Now, physically can help remind us the body can enact the spirit in ways that we underestimate too much. But it doesn't mean you have to put your face to the floor. The spirit needs to definitely be there, though. Definitely need to, okay, God, this is where I need to be before you. Why? Why? Because the devil can't go there. The devil knows one direction. He only knows how to climb fame, to get attention. The devil does not know how to go down. And that was the reason he fell. Yeah? yeah? When the Christian seeks the lowest possible position before God, he is, you can't sin in that position. Think about that. 
the entrance of sin in the world, many, many uh, have said over all the years of Christianity has been pride. Pride is the greatest of all evils. Um, the love of money is the root of all evil, but pride is the way we get into all these things. Uh, humility, therefore, this lowliness is how we counteract all of this. So this, you begin to kind of see why this is like the foundation to the Christian life. So, so to cringe, crouch, prostrate is like this idea of waters, I like to imagine it. And then to come to an end of what? Yourself. To come to an end of yourself. When, when we properly are poor in spirit before God, we have found the beginning point. Because we've come to the end of ourselves, and we've now found the beginning point in Christ. This is where we need to be. Which is why I just love it. It, it, it's, it, it rubs you the wrong way at first because it's not familiar. But I just I do. The more you look into the word, you love the translation. Blessed are those who will come to the end of their rope. You're at the end of yourself. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. So I would summarize all of this with a phrase. Uh, you've heard the phrase before, I'm sure. I would say to be poor in spirit is to have a holy. A holy discontent. So you do not find yourself satisfied with where you are in your union with Christ. You do not find yourself smug with what you've done or how good you... I haven't cussed once this week. That might be a thing for some. Um, Like, you know, whatever your goal is, you're like, I'm doing pretty well. That's getting a... You might be getting a little content with yourself. Really? Are you doing really that well? I mean, you might be well according to your standard, but how high of a ladder have you set your goal when Christ is infinite? Right? We need to have a holy discontent, and that is the posture of poor in spirit. We far too easily satisfy for good enough because what we do is we compare ourselves and measure ourselves to the people around us. Oh man, I don't cuss like the people at first legal attorney services. I was a saint in that office, I'll tell you. <laughs> Just by words alone, I was like canonized saint people pray to me kind of saint. <laughs> Not that that should happen necessarily, but like I was like holy, like they like drawing paintings of me and that's like I mean obviously I'm I'm just exaggerating to make the point of if we compare ourselves to other people, we've lost our way. We've lost our way immediately. A holy discontent is always looking at Christ and saying, I am not Christ. I fall far short from the life he lived and the life he's empowering me to live and the life he's called me to live. So I feel discomfort. So think, if you're poor in material possessions, you are uncomfortable. You don't have the roof that you want. You don't have the food you need. Your clothing is inadequate. right? There's a lot of insecurity and discomfort in that situation. Well, now take what Jesus is saying and take that to poor in spirit. Spiritually, I'm in the same state. I am not comfortable with where I am. I want to keep pressing in. And what Jesus is saying is, great, the way to do that is to press down, is to lower ourselves before him. So um, I think John of Kronstadt was a Russian priest who had a, just a fantastic, God worked miracles and a huge revival in Russia through him. And his writings are, will just cut your heart. Um, and one of the things he said about this verse is this. He said, 
where there is humility, where there is a recognition of one's own destitution, where there is one's poverty and one's wretchedness, there is God. Where is God? He's here. Where there is humility, a recognition of one's own destitution, one's poverty, and one's wretchedness, there is God. So why are the poor in spirit blessed? Because they have now found where God is. God is in these low places. And we can't forget this, that this is what the gospel has told us from Christmas on as we go through the, Chris, the Christian story, is that Christ came all the way down. And we don't meet Christ appropriately unless we go there. That's where he is. It's not where the devil is. We too often take the high road and Christ calls us to the low road. That's though, brothers and sisters, is why we're blessed because there you have, you have found the entrance to the garden. You may remember this. I just, just remember this. Uh, when we were in Song of Solomon, I, it might have been chapter 8. Um, the beloved can't find her beloved. The, the king has gone missing. So she goes. Uh, she had wronged him. There's sort of like a little fight that they have. And she, it says that I went down to the garden and there found my love. This is where we find perfect union with Christ is when we go down and then we find the fruitfulness of the garden. That is Edenic flourishing. And the reason we miss it is because we're always trying to jump up higher on the ladder rather than start at the bottom. So blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the way that this verse We've talked about ways the word poor is talked about and poor in spirit, holy disconnect. But the the virtue, the primary virtue that the church has always seen in this beatitude is the word humility. That this is really a call to humility. Now, humility we have a bad relationship with. Because when I say be humble, people immediately start thinking self-deprecation. And actually, C.S. Lewis was so keen to this that in his really creative writing, uh, The Screwtape Letters, he has the demons talking about how to make sure Christians view humility. And he wants to make sure that Christians see humility as an opinion about oneself. So to be humble is to have a low thought about myself, to be self-deprecating. Um, and they said, leave him there. Because that is not at all what humility is. And actually what humility, C.S. Lewis goes on to write about, is humility is actually forgetting about oneself. It's a self-forgetfulness. So um, if you have a low opinion about yourself, there's way too much of yourself being focused on. You're just, you're just actually just having a very bad view of yourself. Uh, that's not what Christ is calling us to. That's not what humility is. Humility is where you get to a point that you as a self is not contrastable to other people anymore. In other words, when I see somebody else succeed, I don't think, oh, well, how do I compare to this success? Or how does this affect me? No, when I see someone else succeed, I rejoice because it's as if it's my succession. There's no self anymore to really distinguish and compare myself to them. 
Um, so this is where, again, we see we're now destitute of influence and position because our self is fully identified in and united with Christ to the point that if others are thriving at my expense, I am happy. That's what humility can look like. It's not an opinion about ourselves. Actually, rather, um, it's best to see humility as two steps. Humility begins with honesty. Humility is honesty. Who am I? Now, careful. Because then what we do is we say, well, I'm creative and clever and strong and athletic and uh, artistic and, uh, you know, whatever your thing is, right? And what are you doing? Well, you're comparing, you say I'm athletic because most people aren't. At least to the degree that I am or something, right? But hold on, everyone's athletic. Everyone can move their body, right? Um, No, that's not what we mean by be honest with who you are. Who are you in the presence of God? As we compare ourselves to Christ, humility is an honesty about who we are. So when I look at him, if I'm honest, I think I'm still working on the first beatitude. I don't think I mourn my sins appropriately because I still think that I'm doing better than most sinners. Yikes, I haven't even owned up to being poor in spirit yet. My life is way too measured against everyone around me. Um, and I, I, I'm not going to go on a hobby horse right now. Um, so we'll keep your eyes on Christ. And who are you really? Well, goodness, he's the creator. I'm created, which means my very breath isn't even mine. I have no rights or claims to myself. In fact, if I go further, I'm not just created, I'm dust. I was created from the lowest parts of the earth, from dust, and then to dust I will return. This is who I am. This is why I'm poor in spirit. This is why he is my riches in spirit. Because I have nothing in he is everything. Now, again, this is not to have a low opinion of yourself, have this dour attitude like, I'm just dust. Nobody look at me. You become Eeyore. And, and if you aren't really Eeyore through and through, it becomes an act where you, you try to be Eeyore so that you're holier than other people. And then we got those Christians who are downers and everyone's like, who wants to be one of these people? Uh, salt of the earth. All right. Well, we don't want salt. We want pepper. Um, this is not what we are called to at all. Um, it's an honesty between me and Christ. And I am dust. But we can't stop there. That's why humility is a two-step process. And honesty, I'm dust. But it's a joy. Because we have to recognize who we are dust before. And what did he do with dust? Well, he made us from it. And then we die and we go back to dust. And then the creator of the universe, who is in eternal glory, in the eternal thriving fellowship of the Trinity, he becomes dust. He takes on our flesh, our blood. He comes to the dust and then he is ascended back to the same glory from which he came. He didn't wipe the dust off his feet though before he went back up. Do you see what I'm saying? Our dust has been glorified we have been seated at the right hand with Christ. 
It's not just a nice idea. It's Ephesians chapter 2. So I am humble in the sense that I'm honest about the fact that I am dust before God, yet I rejoice that though I'm dust, he's rich in spirit. He has come down and he has elevated this dust so that I can stand before him and I can enter into relationship with him. I don't have to berate myself, belittle myself, have low opinions about myself. I can rejoice in my maker because he has resurrected this dust and glorified it. And I recognize all of this not because of anything I've done by this point. It's the whole gospel story that makes this possible. And I rejoice in what he has done. This is humility. Humble Christians are joyful Christians. It doesn't mean that they're always laughing and happy about everything, but it does mean that they carry a dignity about them, not because they've earned it, they've merited it, they've worked hard for it. They carry a dignity because Christ has made them such, and they've emptied themselves so much and found so much of themselves in Christ that they are what Christ is. This is what makes a joyful Christian. And this is all from humility. A happy Christian is someone who is who they are simply because things are going well and you have a lot to say in what's going on, right? I'm doing well at work, so I'm happy. That's not poor in spirit. The joy of the Lord comes from that humility of all is good because of him. So that's humility. Um, Honesty before God and joy because of God. And in that process, we stop comparing ourselves to others. There's a forgetfulness of one self versus other selves, which is what Lewis was saying. So we now come to a point where Christ is our measuring rod. And anytime we stay there, you will find poverty of spirit a natural place to begin. So... Here's some advice for this path of poverty of spirit. And again, you know, we take this as practicers. We're toddlers who stumble. I'm stumbling through it too. But these are some things that I have found helpful. And if I would remember them more often, so as I preach to myself right now, um, maybe we would be um, better at this first rung of the ladder. Um, There is... um, I've really benefited from some of the things a guy named Sophrony of Essex has said. He's a he's a he's an Eastern Orthodox dude who planted a monastery in England because he was kicked out of Russia or something. I don't remember the whole story, but he's a thriving monastery there in England. And uh, Elder Sophrony of Essex had this saying um, in which there was. Someone, he was always sought out for spiritual advice. He's dead now, but he's always sought out for spiritual advice. And one of the things, uh, a story is recounted as one young man came to him saying, how, how do I grow in my spiritual life? And um, as they're sitting down, he's hosting him. Sophrony was, was brewing tea for them to sip together. And, um, and so as a man asked, how do I succeed in my spiritual life? As Sophrony is um, pouring out the tea, he says, stand at the brink of the abyss of despair. Stand at the brink of the abyss of despair. And when you see that you cannot bear it anymore, step back and have a cup of tea. <laughs> that's really good. Mm-hmm. If you think through what that's saying, that's really good. 
Because that's exactly what we just said humility is. Humility is that honesty. And you're dangling your toes on the edge of despair. Right? You see what you deserve. We pray this every Sunday. Against you, well, actually, we, we don't pray that part anymore. But Psalm 51 uh, says, against you and you alone have I sinned. What is evil in your sight I've done. Mm-hmm. We recognize that he, uh, so you are just in what you sentence against me. Mm-hmm. You are just. Like, I, I deserve to be thrust into this black abyss. And so poverty of spirit is living on the edge of despair but just on the edge, just on the edge. The Christian never plummets into the abyss of despair because they are on the edge of it, but they draw back enough to have tea with their savior. You see what this is? It's that walking that fine balance in life of that, that honesty and that joy, that honesty and that joy. This is humility. This is poverty of spirit. So, um, when you do fall into the abyss of despair and it happens, we call that a passion. Remember the eight deadly passions we looked at last, like a year ago? Um, despair, despondency is one of them. And you don't want to be there. It's not good. When you're there, you're not properly poor in spirit because you can't be in the abyss when you're poor in spirit. You're drinking tea with your Savior while your legs are dangling over the edge. That's what you're doing. Um you're actually proud when you're in despair. I know that sounds backward, but the reason we fall into despair is because we have these lofty ideas for ourselves, and when we didn't amount to them, where else do we go? Yeah. So we live on the edge of despair, but we never fall in because of Christ. So um, let's compare ourselves to Christ, and if we do, then we're going to find ourselves climbing this ladder with less burden, with less weight, we'll be traveling light. Because, man, when I start comparing myself to others, to other pastors, to other churches, to other sermons, to other people, to other fathers, to other new jobs that I'm now doing, other people there, and, like, other teachers at school and other college professors, and when I start doing this, I am traveling with a lot of opinion, a lot of expectation, a lot of burden. But when I am poor in spirit, I just dump all this before Christ because he is my measuring rod. Now I'm traveling light. And that's the whole point. This is the starting point of the journey. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or the good life, those who are poor in spirit are living the good life. They are flourishing in Eden. They are one with Christ. And that is our goal and our target. So here's what you will find. If you and I, here's a good test for us. If we are poor in spirit, you will also find yourself poor in pleasure. If you're poor in spirit, you will find yourself poor in possessions. If you're poor in spirit, you'll find yourself poor in your opinion about yourself. That's not to say you hate possessions, you hate pleasure, you hate your opinion about yourself. That's to say that when I'm poor in spirit, I have so much of Christ I don't need a good opinion. I don't need to stuff my face with whatever feels good or do whatever, you know, everything people's at, people are after today. I don't need that anymore. I don't need to load my life up with new things or more things. So the poor in spirit also takes on that literal begging quality. And some of the great saints of old were both. They were poor in spirit and poor in worldly means. Not because there was something holy about becoming poor, but because they found in this virtue 
a need for nothing else. So I'm not saying you're poor in spirit if you go sell everything you have. But you will find that you are poor in spirit if you're okay with a much less in your life. That's a good, perhaps, uh, test for ourselves. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and to ages of ages. Amen.